we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Well, just three short years ago and since then, mainstream media kept a running tally of all the injuries, uh, illnesses, deaths from COVID. And that narrative, uh, that perpetual bombardment, uh, um, that psychological warfare that they were uh, implementing against us, the general public, uh, was horrific in witnessing it then. But since then, they, um, they've kind of been AWOL. The mainstream media has been AWOL on the truth for years, for decades, for, for, for a very long time. But what one metric do you think would be the most important metric for us to evaluate and follow closely? Without doubt in my mind, it would be the excess deaths that have resulted since the rollout of the vaccines. The excess deaths have been horrific. This isn't people getting sniffles. This isn't people testing positive. This isn't people in the hospital. This isn't people in the ICU. These are people that who were normal health, and then all of a sudden they wake up dead. Or they develop a stroke and die subsequent to it, or a heart attack. Thank goodness for LeBron James' boy that he didn't die. But the uh, fact is, what is the underlying uh, mechanism by which all these excess deaths are occurring. Now, we have an explanation for it that's based in science. Uh, our paper that we put out three months ago that was carried by the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons looking at the data comparing the flu shot to the COVID shot, uh, shots that um, were in pregnant women mainly just showed harrowing numbers. We know why these shots are causing death in the babies in their mamas. We know the mechanisms of action. We know several of them. There may be more to come, but we know several potential reasons why this is occurring. But excess deaths is the number, should be the number one metric by which we're evaluating the health of our culture, of our communities. Excess deaths for the past two years have been astronomical. They've been um, a true uh, pandemic, a true um, plague-like numbers have been occurring. It's been like war. The loss of life due to a war in a culture. And unfortunately, that war is being lost. The war here in America is being lost because the truth is not allowed to be revealed, because then the whole game will be called. Well, it's about time that game be called off because of the damage that these fools have been implementing on, on us for so long. I think this is a very telling statement last week by one of the British parliamentarians who has been begging for a debate. Begging for a debate. But they won't allow him to bring it up in the in the parliament. Here's a quote that he is saying. I'm going to make. I'm going to uh, two 
brief quotes that he makes. One is to a news reporter, and then he makes another statement I'm going to bring up, uh, I'm going to follow that with. But here is, it's a parliamentarian, uh, MP Andrew Brig- Bridgen. Um, it's, it's a very regretful state of affairs. But as you know, I mean, I mean the issue of the vaccine Hobbs, it's not just vaccine Hobbs. Yeah, so what what this uh, uh, statesman is talking about is his party is in charge, and like the Republicans have been, or the Democrats have been, and they've been in charge, and he is on the winning side. He's in the uh, majority, and he's demanding that the other side do their job and resist, expose the lies, the deceptions, the deaths, excess deaths. And nobody takes him up on it. He can't even get the, he cannot even um, appeal for a discussion, a dialogue within the parliament. Because nobody wants to hear it. Yet, a year or two ago, every night you turned on, you saw a rolling tally of number of uh, cases, number of hospitalizations, of course, deaths. And then you look at uh, the farce, the freak show going on up in D.C. in our country. And I was watching a uh, congressional hearing uh, earlier where a member of Congress who was in charge of a subcommittee said that without the vaccines, there have been 1.3 million deaths from COVID, but, w- but there would be 3.1 million uh, more deaths were it not for the vaccine. They lie, lie, and lie again while more and more people die. I don't understand what it's going to take for the American people to say no more, you fools. Both sides of the aisle. Excess deaths throughout the world that were heavily vaccinated have continued to increase. You heard him just say in one week time frame, the guy in England saying that in one week, uh, period, there was a 21%, 22% increase. And then over the past six months, it's been an 8% increase in excess deaths. This is harrowing news, yet nobody wants to talk about it. And obviously, we have good understanding as to why, because these shots are deadly. And we know why they were deadly, why they are deadly. And so this goes to why we are talking about in today's podcast about the need for detoxing from the spike protein. Because this thing was designed with dozens and dozens of patents on it to make it more deadly, more infectious. I just read recently um, uh, over the weekend that uh, there is a part of the code that comes from malaria. Uh, It's just insane. Nobody wants to talk about the abundant deaths and injuries that are occurring from these uh, shots, while we know scientifically why it is occurring. And uh, what, is, what is the scientific community of, the, of uh, the West in particular been doing the last uh, three years? It's been covering uh, for the uh, greed and murderous people in charge. It's astounding. It is truly astounding. With that, I would like to uh, point out uh, an article that uh, was on a preprint server um, that I found uh, a couple of articles. One was uh, finally pub- uh, in pre- 
no, it was actually published uh, uh, recently in the Annals of Internal Medicine. And it was Fluvox and Budesonide, an SSRI, and Budesonide, which is a steroid inhaler, are effective against early COVID treatment. My goodness, that is so good of them to finally uh, wake up three years, three plus years after they should have, and proven what we have known to, what we and uh, that have been following the science all along have known. Actually, Fluvox was the first bet that uh, Steve Kirsch uh, offered a million dollar bet on that if somebody could prove to him it was uh, it was not helpful. This was two or three years ago. We knew the science as to why it's beneficial. Once again, like we mentioned last uh, weekend on the uh, on the podcast uh, last week, uh, it is the best website for this type of information is c19study.com. Another uh, um, article, another recent article, the association of trace element levels with outcomes in critically ill COVID-19 patients out of Switzerland. And lo and behold, three and a half years later, they're finding out that zinc, copper, and selenium levels, selenium element, uh, selenium levels are... um, are lower than they should be. <laughs> hmm. You reckon we didn't know that three years ago? This is a farce. This is not science. These people are, um, it's amazing that they are so blind to the damage they've done because that's the kind of stuff that should have been done three years ago. And uh, then another very interesting study out of uh, India came out uh, that looked at. Um, Looked at the uh, different uh, supplements that have uh, affinity for binding the spike uh, protein. In silico, antiviral assessment of phytoconstituents in a traditional polyherbal formulation targeting MPRO and pan-coronavirus post-fusion spike protein. So this very well done uh, study looks at the potential binding affinity of different different supplements. And it finds uh, good information once again. But of course, it doesn't make money. Supplements don't make money for pharma. So Pfizer and pharma, or whatever, uh, we don't get uh, we get we don't get to understand or know about these types of things. But we've had more and more evidence coming to the uh, fore talking about different um, agents that are used, and a lot of them, once again, on c19study.com, are. Uh, are explained in their uh, in the studies as to uh, and also in several of the studies like this one it explains why and then uh, more ridiculous news um, we've talked about the masking before uh, but um, just uh, last week another study talked about uh, the New England Journal of Medicine the fraud of the New England Journal of Medicine what they have been revealed over the last three years and so. Uh, the Epic Times actually reported on it, but 
New England Journal of Medicine uh, reevaluated their data that they had used uh, a couple of years ago showing that masks work in children. Guess what? Uh, they missed it completely. They got the they got the exact opposite of what the truth was. I wanted to read some of the findings from it for you. Um, the uh, they had said that they had proven that the vaccine, I mean, that the masks are helpful in preventing spread in uh, in children in the schools. And then, of course, uh, they reevaluated, and I wonder what led to them because these people have no shame. But you wonder what uh, led them to reevaluate um, their own study. But Harvard, you know, uh, reanalysis of highly influential mask studies shows universal school masking did not lead to fewer COVID-19 cases. A reanalysis of a highly influential Boston mask study claiming continued mask mandates reduced COVID cases in schools found districts that dropped masking requirements actually experienced the largest decreases in COVID-19 cases and failed to identify any causal relationship between mask mandates and infection rate. Once again, New England Journal of Medicine, Massachusetts uh, Department of Education and Secondary Education, and the CDC, there they are, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, the original New England Journal study claiming claimed lifting the statewide masking policy among school districts in the greater Boston area resulted in an additional 44.9 COVID cases per thousand students and staff during the 15 week during the 15 weeks after the policy was rescinded corresponding to an estimated 12,000 additional cases and and to 29% of all cases in the school district during that period well nope that was not true at all after reanalyzing the same data using multiple methodologies including utilizing a large a larger statewide control group, researchers came to a strikingly different conclusion. Schools that dropped masking requirements experienced a 22% decrease in COVID-19 cases compared to a 12% decrease in masked districts. 22 versus 12. Hmm. Frauds again. Frauds, frauds, frauds all around. So uh, with these uh, evidences that I've uh, gone over here, excess deaths continue to climb. Young people, uh, thankfully, uh, Mr. James' son uh, survived the heart attack. But many people uh, in our city, uh, two, weeks, uh, two weeks ago today, a 12-year-old woke up dead. Uh, two weeks before that, there was an 18- and 19-year-old young woman. And then uh, today there was a report out of a young lady, 23-year-old, in Birmingham. I don't ever remember these things happening until uh, the last, uh, since the rollout of these vaccines. Dropping dead suddenly. Sudden death syndrome. It's appalling. And it's shameful that they get away with it. Well, it's, it's time for that to end. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. 
Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix Rx is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Let me finish. Take an animal virus and you increase the ability to human. Right. You're saying it's not gain of function. Yeah, that is correct. And and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about. Officially. Okay, you get one person. Let's read from the NIH. This is your definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among mammals is gain of function. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals and they increased their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function? It is not. It's a dance and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for 4 million people dying around the world okay. from a pandemic. And let's let Dr. Patrick. I have to, well, now you're getting into something. If the point that you are making is that the, the, the grant that was funded as a sub-award from EcoHealth to Wuhan created SARS-CoV-2. That's where you are getting. Let me finish. We don't know. Well, we don't wait know a minute. It did I come can, from the lab, but all the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab, you, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the lab, including yourself. I totally This committee resent, will allow the witness to respond. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating. Oh, what? Wait, wait, wait. Here goes the fraud, Fauci. Fauci fraud. Very, very sad fool, that is, and I hope he pays dearly for what he has done. Um, and that goes to the point that uh, we're making today, the main point that we're making today, because this spike protein that has been intentionally manipulated dozens and dozens of times that we have paid for as a country, that uh, Fraud Fauci has been responsible for, uh, along with Francis Collins and Bill Gates and the like. They have killed, as uh, as of whenever that was in 2022, 4 million people. And uh, this, this isn't the only lie he has told to the Congress. But I'm so glad that now they are going to uh, seek uh, perjury charges against him. Uh, this is just a wonderful, wonderful. Uh, threshold moment, I hope, when we can start finally accepting the reality, the truth of what what we have been through. 
And it starts with who created this spike protein. And as Dr. Paul Alexander made the point uh, two years ago, we got to remember that the it clearly the virus clearly uh, qualifies as a bioweapon, but it was ultimately created for the uh, for the second main bioweapon, which was these shots. Remember the spike protein that is created by your body if you took one of these shots by your body is more stable than that of the spike protein that you run into if it's a natural infection. Even though it's it's a natural infection, even though it's not a natural spike protein. Uh, this was all created as the movie um, uh, died suddenly on Rumble. You can still find it on rumble.com. As it clearly indicated, this was all planned for. This is all the, it's classic. All of this was planned for. And uh, this is, uh, I'm so excited uh, that finally it seems like somebody's going to try and seek justice for humanity. Um, because uh, Fraud Fauci is a fool's fool. And I hope he repents, of course, but uh, he will pay a dear price. So with that, we're talking about the spike protein. The spike protein is the created vi- part of the virus. It is the only part of the virus by itself that is a known toxin. We've known this since at least 2008, according to uh, uh, Dr. Michael Yeadon, who was the chief respiratory uh, chief of the respiratory division for Pfizer back then. He has said that, that uh, we've known this since at least 2008. Um, And so uh, what needs to happen? First and foremost, anybody that took the shot, and probably people that uh, we don't have as firm a data on it, but uh, probably people that were shut upon with the exosomes from those who did foolishly take the shot, um, uh, they need to detox. People that took the shot for sure need to detox. And that was an interesting uh, discussion last week on FLCCC.net that uh, Jordan was the guest for Dr. Uh, Pierre Corey and his partner. It was a fascinating hour and a half long discussion. And the it was uh, fundamentally looking at uh, the treatments for vaccine injury and why. Not just, oh, it just so happens that this agent uh, that we select that's cheap or that's a supplement uh, that the pharmaceutical company can't make billions of dollars on, but these other things that are very effective, known treatments, that uh, we need to um, review a lot of what they discussed last week at the FLCCC Wednesday night uh, podcast, webcast, whatever you call it. Uh, and I wanted to bring out a few of the points that were made. The diagnosis of post-COVID, post-vaccination syndrome. So the spike protein is the underlying culprit. Was it from a natural infection or was it from the uh, shots? Uh, data is very clear that uh, the shots uh, provide a different spike protein with more stabilized pseudouridines that stay in our body longer. Uh, Plus, it causes the shots, as we've said many times before, cause your bodies to produce, every organ system in your body to produce, because that's where it's deposited, not in the shoulder as they lied to us initially, 
because they knew back then that it went all over the body. They had the data that was found in Japan right after the vaccine was released from data uh, that J Japan uh, required. So they knew that this would go immediately to organs, all of the organs in the body, and that the organs in the body would then produce this uh, highly toxic substance called spike protein that was manufactured with multiple dozens and dozens of patents uh, to make it the lethal uh, gain-of-function uh, utilization that was done to make it so lethal. <clears throat> so uh, we look at um, why would somebody have, like Dr. Uh, Corey said at the beginning of the discussion, it seemed like uh, two years ago it was a majority of uh, acute injuries, and now it's almost completely post-shot. Uh, and what's so interesting is supposedly only three, and another interesting point is that supposedly only 3% of, uh, there's only been a 3% increase in vaccine uptake to almost 19% over the last year. It's been a year since the uh, bivalent vaccine came out. And uh, we're not even at 20% of uptake. That, that's right. The large, large majority of Americans are no longer trusting these shots. They are dangerous, and we are glad that they are not because uh, the people are not taking them because they are so dangerous. Once again, they cause your body to produce a known toxin, just evil. Um, and they knew it. And so uh, what do we look at? Uh, how to evaluate somebody who has been vaccinated and it can occur months later. I remember Dr. Diane Counts in her, in her uh, WebEx back in March, I believe, said that the average days from the shot to stroke is 190 days. And back uh, eight months before that, it was 150 days. So uh, we've got to get people to wake up to the message that they need to detox from these shots. And the FLCCC website has a wonderful protocol that a lot, most people base their decisions off of. Dr. Peter McCullough uh, uses bromelain, netokinase, and um, I'll remember the other one in a second. But uh, so <clears throat> we need to look at the temporal association with the acute injection versus the long term. His guessments are that uh, 20%, maybe less, occur within hours of the injection. Uh, maybe 75, maybe three out of four of them occur within weeks. But then uh, a small segment, under 10%, he believes, occur multiple months later, as evidenced by the data that Dr. Counts presented a few months ago. The diagnosis is made from, I have a, uh, a list of uh, symptoms that my patients uh, itemize. They give a score to zero to ten, and there's about thirty uh, symptoms that uh, I ask about. But the three common, most uh, prominent, are uh, fatigue, post-exertional malaise, and brain fog. I would agree with that in Dr. <coughs> Corey's presentation last week. And then he makes a point that there are side menu symptoms as well, dysautonomia, uh, small fiber neuropathy, and neuroinflammation that cause different types of symptoms. Um, I would agree with that as well. Uh, there are many other types of symptoms, gastrointestinal, uh, loss of motility, food intolerance, reflux, weight gain, weight loss, 
uh, psychiatric anxiety and depression, I think that is very, uh, that's a common symptom of, I don't know if I've had a thousand patients, but several, several hundred who I've been treating over the last two and a half years. Uh, night sweats, hot flashes, uh, skin rashes, skin sensitivity, nails falling off, uh, discolored, menstrual changes. That goes to our uh, paper that we talked about uh, that Dr. Thorpe and McCullough and Claire Rogers and others, uh, we presented in Association of American Physicians and Surgeons three uh, months ago or so. Um, urinary issues and muscle atrophy. Now, the urinary issues, menstrual changes, skin changes, I thought in that uh, presentation last week, Jordan did an excellent job in talking about something that I've been uh, aware of because of a family member having an eosinophilic problem. Uh, but um, I've been aware of mast cell activation syndrome for the past few years. And uh, it is real. That's why one of, part of my initial treatment includes Pepsid and uh, Allegra because it needs the antihistamine blockade. Sometimes I add the, uh, the uh, Montelukast uh, singular. Uh, but um, baseline labs, they talked about a lot of these. Uh, it's, I think, having a liver panel, kidney function, CBC, TSH. Um, uh, vitamin D is not something I check a lot of times because I already know that it's low and I just put them on. Put patients on D-dimer, yes, is a very important one, very important. CRP, troponin, and BNP sometimes, rarely actually. But um, let's see. So challenging in de- challenges in developing a treatment approach. Um, every individual is different, of course. That I mean, that's just a that's instinctive for any practicing physician. You got to look at the individual. Um, and then Dr. Corey uh, pointed out there there is a must read the last three posts from a on, on a um, substack from a guy uh, from a Miss Miss Midwestern doctor a Miss Midwestern doctor and he talked about cell danger response um, and uh, he didn't go into it. I pulled it up, and I'm, I do want to read that soon. But um, uh, new potential uh, therapies. People, the most important thing that can happen is for doctors to wake up, put their pride aside, wake up to the reality of the of the damage to the cells that are going on that are, that are going on throughout potentially every organ system. And well, I saw this a few weeks ago that the number one organ system that causes symptoms is the neurological, then the cardiovascular, then the immune, and even the musculoskeletal has a lot. But um, but the number one uh, killer uh, from these vaccines is cardiovascular, heart and stroke and things like that. The number one uh, symptom organ, uh, the organ system that is uh, symptomatically altered is the neurological. Yeah, and so a lot of times when they get the patients get the uh, get the treatments started, they have they get much better, and uh, you I, I have a pretty standard protocol that I use that comes mainly from the FLCCC website, but 
uh, oh yeah, Doctor. Sorry about this. Uh, uh, Doctor uh, McCullough's third item on his is the nano curcumin. Anyway, sorry about that. But uh, he doesn't only just use those three, but those are the three that he settled on the last two or three weeks. Yeah, I'd say that's true. The last two or three weeks in talking to him. So the uh, other ideas, other things that uh, they talked about, and Dr. Vaughn talked extensively about uh, mast cell activation syndrome, and he thought he's also, as we, I'm proud of him. Uh, he's pointed out before the evidence for things. He he brought great evidence to the presentation last week, but. Uh, one of the things that people need to be aware of that he is really at the, at the uh, forefront of discovery with is uh, a lot of young, healthy people, a lot of runners, uh, bike riders and things, uh, bikers, They uh, a lot of times they will have a symptom, very active young athlete, athletes, but have symptoms where they just get absolutely fatigued after they have worked out. And a lot of it, uh, well, it's not very common, but uh, it is due to a collapse of the iliac artery and vein, uh, vein, and so there's pooling, excuse me, because it tra traverses under the iliac, muscular iliac artery, and so there is impingement and there is a congestion. And he showed a couple of slides of radi radiology studies that showed that uh, there was complete um, collapse of the vein. And so what does the blood do that's trying to return from the pelvis and the legs? It um, tries to find alternative routes, and those cause symptoms, whether it's urinary or musculoskeletal, like low back pain. And, of course, it can cause uh, uh, hemorrhoids and other things that go on in the GI tract. Um, an interesting tidbit was he pointed, he said, if you run into a patient who has had these symptoms, who it's a male who has had uh, left testicular torsion or issues with their left um, testicle before, then they uh, then you know that you're on the right track. And so you've got to get the uh, you got to keep them hydrated and uh, get rid of the spike protein. And he talked about a paper that we found uh, last week when we were doing our podcast preparation that uh, it was on the c19study.com website. There's a recent study showing that the uh, ivermectin uh, blocks the uh, fibrin, uh, the spike protein from binding the fibrin uh, molecules together. The fibrin, uh, it doesn't allow it to, the ivermectin blocks the spike protein from um, connecting the fibrin, uh, which is wonderful, very important. Yet another of the 30 plus reasons why ivermectin is so good against SARS 2. Uh, both the infection, inflammation, and blood clotting that it causes. Um, and it's, of course, because of its, um, a lot of what we're talking about is the vaccine's injury because of the stupid idea of injecting people with instructions to make a known toxin. Anyways, so, uh, we went through, they went through several of the, uh, items on there protocol and it was very well worth very worthwhile for anybody to consider if you know of anybody that has been vaccinated we would encourage you these are for our as always our podcasts are for information purposes only but uh we would encourage you to consider uh reading about uh 
detoxifying from these wicked shots. Once again, thank you very much for your time, and I hope you uh, have enjoyed uh, the information and find it useful. God bless. While the cancel culture destroys our history, bringing crime and terror to city streets, AmericaOutloud.news will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. All right, welcome back. This is Dr. Jordan Vaughn. I am uh, pleased to have uh, Cheryl Atkinson, a famed uh, investigative journalist, uh, here with me today. I uh, was had the pleasure of uh, being uh, with her and interviewing some of my patients uh, yesterday, and I thought it'd be great to have her on and just talk a little bit about how she got in, first of all, the investigative journalism and works, you know, more explicitly, uh, kind of how she has uh, looked at this medical industrial complex or what I would call the, the industry that we, uh, me and Dr. Tankersley practice in every day and how it's been from what me and Dr. Tankersley think is corrupted. So Cheryl, thanks for, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate what y'all do. Well, give me kind of a little background. I know I was talking to you yesterday in terms of your kind of uh, entry into some of the scientific world not being so scientific. Well, I was assigned to look at some sort of medical misbehavior as a CBS News investigative correspondent in the early 2000s. It started with the um, diabetes medicine Resilin, which was ultimately pulled off the market for liver damage. My stories were credited with having it pulled off the market. However, I will give credit to um, an LA Times reporter, David Wilman, who really had been covering that for a year prior to me uh, getting the story on television. But it turns out that um, medical stories like that have everything in common with the other scandals that I had covered with whistleblowers and government and corporate misconduct and so on. And as I got deeper and deeper assigned to more stories, I saw how many there were to follow. And CBS News encouraged them initially whether it was reporting on vaccine autism link cover-ups or other vaccine issues or other medical problems and how they were handled and what went on behind the scenes. So it became a a huge area of interest. I approach it not as a medical science reporter, because I'm not, but as an investigative reporter who finds similar components. And maybe that's 
that gives me a sort of a benefit in covering these issues because sometimes the medical and scientific reporters are overlooking or not seeing these really important issues. Yeah. So um, give me an idea of when you actually started looking into that kind of stuff. Did you get much pushback? Our 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 whole thing is really, uh, you know, I think the media in a lot of ways is dependent on money from pharmaceutical industry. So anything that looks negative on them, um, and that's how the whole industrial complex kind of works because they're all kind of buddy-buddy. But um, initially you said they were interested, but then when it got to things that were more, I guess, sacrosanct, they they pushed away. Is that true? Well, yes, but um, the timing was interesting because looking back, when I first started covering the stories, the pharmaceutical industry had not taken over media and government to the degree that it had has today. And I was assigned to cover the stories. I knew nothing about them, but my executive producer at the time understood they were hugely impactful and affected pretty much everybody, particularly when you talk about medicine and vaccines. And so they encouraged them. And during that time, looking back, the media passage of that. Yeah, the media industries were partnering behind the scenes with the pharmaceutical industry to lobby members of Congress to uh, to loosen restrictions on to direct to consumer ads, which led to ultimately this huge partnership you speak of where the pharmaceutical industry has been able to, in essence, legally buy out everybody by buying so many ads on their forums that um, they directly or indirectly control the content. So there was a switch over, a time during which my executive producer still wanted the stories, encouraged them, but there was pushback and phone calls when I was reporting on problems with statin cholesterol lowering drugs. We were getting calls from the advertising department. I didn't know about this at the time. But you, they would start to get squishy on stories that they wanted, or maybe certain people wanted them at the network, but there would be a feeling after they aired that something was wrong, even though they were like some of the best stories I had ever covered, and, and ultimately got to the point where that expanded beyond the pharmaceutical industry to other topics, whereby the, the news is wholly controlled uh, in terms of controversies and stories that we can cover. And I ended up quitting CBS News ahead of my contract because I couldn't report in an honest way on important stories and controversies. And I now have my own independent TV program where I still continue to try to do that. So I was talking to one of your producers yesterday and he was, you know, I I feel like one of the problems in medicine right now is a lot of top down, like this is what we want and then push out the answers or push out the stories or push out. Is that how, do you feel like that kind of shape is where media has gone to? Is that the, and he, he kind of agreed uh, that it was more, here's, here's, here's what we want it to say. Go find stories about it. Is that- yeah. Um, I've written three books that touch on this and, and I, I termed it in one uh, chapter that said it got to the point where we would be told by certain managers instead, I used to be able to tell them, here's the story, here's what I found. And they would be delighted. Whatever they thought the story was, they were happy to hear what the story really was when you went out in the field, but it, it, got turned upside down and got to be the point that at the beginning of the day, certain managers would say, here's your story. We need to find people who will say the following. They would give phrases and sound bites that you had to fill in the blank. And if you didn't, they wouldn't air the story or they wouldn't air the soundbite for the story. Even when you said to them and other reporters complained too, even when you said, well, your conception of what's, what's happening or what is the case isn't true. You know, I'm here and here's what, what's really happening. They, they would, as I said, write little movies or movie plots in the morning and decide how something had to look and be. And you had to just go fill in the blanks. And I ended up saying, well, first of all, it's dishonest. But second of all, you can hire some kid to do that, pay them 
you know, in, in my business, $90,000 a year, you don't have to pay what you pay me to do it because it doesn't take a brain, you know, to, to do that kind of reporting. I'm trying to br- bring news of value and interesting, important stories and information to people. And they, they don't want that now. They want to fill in the blanks to serve a certain agenda, either how they feel, or sometimes these are people who have been hired into the news agencies by and for propagandists and industries. And so they're perfectly happy to, you know, they're fine with being accused of putting out propaganda or something that's not true because they're not journalists and their goal is to get a certain message out. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, I know you've done some look into kind of the peer review and academic world. Um, From an investigative journalist standpoint, do you feel like that is um, as much of a, a perfect world that uh, produces great science that uh, they uh, all the academics seem to purport? Well, it's scandalous. And when I read some years ago that Richard Horton, the editor-in-chief of the British journal Lancet, as well as the former editor of uh, uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, um, gosh, her name just went out of my head. Darn it. I'll think of it in just a second. Both of them said and wrote about how most, much or most of the science in the most esteemed peer-reviewed medical journals, they themselves said could not be trusted because the process of studies and of publishing have been so co-opted by the pharmaceutical industry and special interests, whether we're talking about ghost-written, you know, articles that are actually produced by industry, but then laundered through a legitimate sounding scientist name who's paid a few thousand dollars to sign something he didn't write. Um, just every kind of scandal you can think of. And so I look at studies as a layperson a lot differently than medical doctors. And it's scary that our doctors rely on them so much because uh, I think more often than not, I look at studies as propaganda put out by the medical establishment that often is not to be believed. And I, I learn how to kind of look for studies sometimes outside the specialty that may be more insightful into something going on in a specialty, you know, studies published in an uh, an off journal rather than in the main journal you would expect. I look at studies that are attacked in the media to see maybe those have something very true, but sensitive to the powerful interests. What, what, where are the grains of truth there? And I even look, sometimes it's simple for someone like even me to look at data and what a study concludes and what the headline is and see that it conflicts wholly with the message that's being put out about that very study. I also was frightened by the notion that I had scientists explain to me many years ago that the process of publishing and science is so controlled now, it's only funded by the ones who wanna put out positive things by and large um, on a product. And when they find out a product doesn't do something positive or is negative or could hurt people, they won't publish the study. So there's no way, it's very hard to unearth dangerous or safety information about medicine these days because that stuff won't be published. And if it happens to get published, the industry and government who partner together will put out so many contrary studies just to confuse the issue that people won't know what to think. And I'm looking into and challenging a couple of studies now related to COVID that I believe are bogus or wrong. And I'm trying to demand they be corrected or retracted from the journals. It's a very difficult process. Even when our tax money is used for studies, they're able to keep secret, I don't know how, the names of the peer reviewers, so you can't check for conflicts of interest. They may say at Columbia, for example, that their study funded by US taxpayer money, they don't have to publish the data or provide it because they're a private college slash hospital. And so our money, our tax money is being laundered through third parties uh, by being given to a place that then publishes something that's questionable that you can't get the data to see and you can't find out you know, who's behind it. So it's just really a mess. 
I wonder, I mean, the thing that's really, and then I will tell you, shocked me is, you know, initially, um, even in the vaccine story, once I saw how this uh, COVID vaccine, uh, the process that it went through to get, uh, well, what I'd say is emergency use authorization and then ultimately license. Um, somebody said, Jordan, if, if that's the, you know, I was upset about it and this, I thought this was all duplicitous. I said, well, what if I told you that was the way the sausage is always made? Um, and in the same thing, what's recently come out about proximal origins and all the cabal of scientists that basically were trying to protect their hides, um, their own hinds, sorry. Um, but it, it was interesting how they discovered it and did a lot of FOIA requests for government officials and finding the emails back and forth. I wonder if that's an um, interesting way to maybe, maybe that's the one nice thing about the government being involved in all this. We could we could uh, investigate it on that side too. I know a lot of it doesn't always flow through the halls of the NIH, but given that seems where all the money goes, goes from, it seems like it would. But um, I don't know if you followed that story. It just is, it's fascinating to me again, if that's the way the sausage is made, it's, it's again, I, I don't think I can trust any. So. I agree. And I learned early on, you know, when you first start to understand or go down the rabbit hole of how vaccines are made and approved and so are not approved actually. And through the formal process that you would expect, as I did in the early 2000s, you start to think, at least if you're me, this can't be true. And you start reading things and talking to whistleblowers and other scientists and saying, well, what's happening? How do, how do we not know this? And then you learn that that and more is true. And it's, it's just frightening because there is, I think people are more willing to believe and understand conspiracies at the highest level inside government and industry to make sure that we don't report or learn or know certain things. And as patients, they keep things hidden. I mean, the, one of the biggest scandals I ever covered was I have many admissions and documents and evidence showing the government acknowledging the link between vaccines and autism that they on paper deny. I have recordings. I have, again, court documents and studies and so on that, that prove otherwise. But one of the biggest scandals is when this issue first came to a vaccine court and the government had decisions that were against all the parents that were arguing the thousands and thousands of cases that even found their way to this court nobody knows about, the government was saying those parents were crazy and nuts and just imagining things that the vaccines could have done this to their children. And yet the government had behind the scenes secretly settled an, a really landmark case, admitting that a child's vaccines caused her autism, but they paid off the family, sealed the case so other parents wouldn't know and it wouldn't be a precedent. And they continued to lie to people in public you know, audaciously claiming that that did, that hadn't happened. And then years later, just a couple of years ago, as I covered on my um, television show, the government who defends the vaccine industry, the way our system is set up, the government's lead witness, uh, a pediatric neurologist who's quite famed at Johns Hopkins, who was defending the vaccines all these years, said that he came out years ago and told the government as, as their expert witness that vaccines can cause autism after all, that he changed his opinion. He'd seen science and actual patients where this had happened. And he told them that, please don't misrepresent my opinion in these cases we're currently covering. I'm just letting you know that my opinion is changing. They fired him as an expert witness that weekend and continue to misrepresent him in court cases, pretending that he had never said any such thing. He signed an affidavit to this effect um, a couple of years ago, nothing came of it. There was no investigation. There was no prosecution. I mean, this is just corruption at the highest level to me. But these are the sorts of things that go on 
that most people never know about and that seems to be tolerated inside, you know, government and industry. So what what do you think to me is uh, the question would be what's driving it? Because I will say, I mean, if you compare cancer therapies from the early 90s to today, I mean, they're, they're not even recognizable, but you're still doing the same disease. I mean, meaning you're, you know, you used to be cut and kill and now it's uh, changed the immune system, right? Um, and that seems to be okay to fundamentally shift your understanding of how to how to treat or prevent a disease. But in this area, it seems like it's literally, you can't even question the science that has not been changed, meaning their understanding of, of our understanding of the immune system is immensely more, uh, more, more complex than we have ever even thought even 10 years ago. Yet the basic understanding of how we utilize vaccines to supposedly protect people hasn't changed. And I don't understand why that area of medicine as we advance, still cannot, you know, we can't go back and go, hey, well, maybe we don't need to poke the bears often, or maybe we need to poke it on a more, you know, limited basis uh, for some specific things that are a big issue. Instead, it seems, all right, we'll throw another one out there to fight another disease that no one seems to suffer from. Well, this trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar system that earns so much money for these companies is so codified globally, not just in the United States. The money made on vaccines that are sent and used in third world countries and so on, to upend that system with a replacement, which ultimately there will be when they can make money off of some totally different drug that they they think is pervasive, that you know will work enough, at least they can say it works enough, that can replace everything without questioning what they're currently doing. We will have a replacement at some point, but it's got to be something that earns them the same kind of money or they're not going to do it. Yeah. And that so the, the immunity like, gives them kind yeah. of unlimited, the profit there. And then also it's, I mean, I guess in the replacement, it would also do this, but I always look at people and say, you know, there's nothing better than a drug that everyone who's healthy needs to take, you know, (laughs) Um, versus something that people need to take when they're sick. You know, it's just a whole different. And, you know, I think, again, we look at everything the wrong way, in my opinion. I've just started thinking about this. The whole emphasis is on cure for cancer, cure for cancer. And while that would be fantastic and money should be spent on that. Wouldn't it be more important to also, or as important, to start identifying the factors that are causing so much cancer, likewise with chronic illnesses, and prevent them? So wouldn't it be better that if down the road you didn't have to cure people's cancer because you understood which chemicals and exposures in our food and environment and medicines are causing this explosion of chronic disorders that's killing our children and and ourselves, that we've never seen anything like this, the type two diabetes and the Crohn's disease and the POTS, the autoimmune disorders, the skin, you know, psoriasis and rashes, all these autoimmune related things that are happening to us have probably, as, as you know, more than I, I'm just, you know, kind of summarizing things I've read and learned have multi-causes. It may be genetics combined with the vaccines that you got, or it may be genetics combined with the pesticides that you're drinking in your water or the, you know, the different exposures which makes it harder to identify and easier to cover up. And instead of the government trying to gather the data and do the studies that would help us understand the vulnerabilities we have and the exposures, they simply throw their hands in the air and pretend none of it's happening and misdirect us to look at things like, let's find a cure for cancer and be sure to get your vaccine instead of addressing America's real health problems, which are just exploding. Yeah, I think in my in my world, the silver lining of some of the COVID is is allowing me to understand small vessels. And that's the cool thing about it, because when we identified at a young age that these people have small vessel issues, those are things that we can intervene or risk modify 
so they don't become the president of their memory care center. You know, so that's the that's kind of my goal. But it's cool to be able to do that because usually, again, a, an opportunity appears there. But yeah, the same thing needs to happen on the on the other front. It's like, well, why did we get here? Looking back, what made this person more likely? Can we find that out earlier? Can we risk modify it going forward? But yeah, there's just not much of that done. So I, yeah, I I completely agree. Well, um, 20 years ago, ago, Dr. Bernadine Haley, the former heads of the National Institutes of Health, told me that she too saw that vaccines caused autism, according to the literature that she also hadn't thought existed until she started researching. And then she saw that, um, according to her, her colleagues at the Institute of Medicine made a concerted effort to cover this up, issue up and not explore it because they understood when they asked the question about vaccines, they already knew where it would lead and what it would show. And they've they've made a conscious choice not to undermine America's vaccine program or expose what's going on. But she said back then, and I'm sure it's truer now, that personalized medicine makes it possible to identify the factors and which children are most vulnerable to these exposures and change it, either either pull them out from getting those particular vaccines that could harm them, give them autism, or even brain damage and kill them, or modify vaccines for those children so that they don't trigger those problems in those particular kids. But when you have a government and establishment that won't even admit there's an issue or try to make the vaccines better, you just end up with the same product and trying to hide, you know, more and more every day, all of the side effects that they're probably causing. Yeah, no, I, um, that to me, I think it's, you have to admit there's a problem as I think me and one one of the other things me and Stuart always talk about is that, you know, I think one of the things medicine's going to have to do to actually gain credibility again is to just repent and say we were wrong. But I, I don't think that's coming <laughs> anytime soon. So until then, uh, it's going to be uh, a tough go at it. So anyway, Cheryl, thank you so much for uh, for being on today. And thank you for uh, uh, for all you do in terms of just being a true investigative journalist and uncovering things that aren't always convenient or, or go with the narrative. And I, I think that's... Uh, a testament to you to stand up for what you've done. Well, thank you for being a great source of information for people like me, and hopefully we can bring the more information we can bring to the public to help them make their decisions for better. Well, thanks so much, Cheryl. 